bless each and every one of you. Welcome, welcome on tonight. So glad that you could be with us on tonight. God has a treat for us tonight in his word. Hallelujah. As you know, we've been studying Joshua. And uh, last week when I went to visit um, Pastor Tate and his family, I found out that the Lord had blessed him with the knowledge about the ites, I call them. And so we are grateful for the word of the Lord on tonight. Pastor Tate is the senior pastor, lead pastor of the Father's House in Frisco. He and Marielle and his beautiful siblings love the Lord with all their heart and they're doing and preparing themselves for a mighty work of the Lord. And whatever little bit more he wants to share with you, I'm going to let him come right up so we'll have plenty of time to hear the fullness of what God would share with us in Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you for Pastor Tate coming up. We thank you for the word of the Lord. We bless the man of God, and we honor the grace gift on tonight. Thank you, Father God, for your voice coming forth out of him. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Tate, come on up. Amen, amen. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, praise God. Well, I I just want to uh, thank Minister Brown for not only having me, but I I thank you for having my beautiful bride, Marielle. Was it two weeks ago? I'm certain that you all were blessed. Uh, I haven't had a chance just yet. I have the message on my desktop, and I'm looking forward to listening to it, but I'm sure that everyone was blessed, and I'm so grateful that you had her received from her. Uh, And as Minister Brown said, she had the we had the privilege. She had the privilege. I, you know, we, we just had a wonderful time in fellowshipping for the last week and a half and catching up and having just an opportunity. We hadn't seen each other for that long of a period of time for years. And so it was just good, good having her in our home. And uh, my children loved her, uh, even though they didn't remember. Two of them didn't even, weren't around then, but Two of them didn't even remember being with her, but they immediately fell in love. So I, I honor you. I thank you for this opportunity and for everyone who is on the call. <clears throat> I honor you and thank you for this privilege, the opportunity to just share before you. I never take it lightly, any opportunity that I'm given, whether it's in front of one person whether it's in front of hundreds or whatever, to share the word of the Lord. And and the reason being is that you don't know who it is the Lord has set you in front of. You don't know the world changes that he has called you to share his gift, his word, his wisdom, his life with. And so I never take that lightly. And also you don't know what this night or any time may hold, not only for you but for someone who is listening, you don't know that this this very moment may be the transforming moment that changes everything. You you know, oftentimes we sometimes, uh, we've been going to service and we've been believing the Lord for great deals of time. And sometimes you can become tired because of life. 
and there's a particular service that is happening and someone invites you and and you say you're going, but then you're like, you know what, I, I really don't feel like it. I, I don't want to get on the prayer line tonight. I'm just tired. And oftentimes it is those moments that the Lord has reserved for you to push through the fray, push through the distractions, because it is in that moment that he has something for you that will drastically change everything in your life. I've faced so many of those moments in my life where I didn't feel like going to a service or didn't feel like doing something. And when I pressed through on the other side, he was there to meet me in supernatural ways and miraculous ways that I had no idea he was ready for. So I, I like to tell people that <clears throat> go get on the prayer line, go to service with an expectancy because it may be your moment the moment you've been waiting for, the moment you've been asking for. And so I never take these moments lightly, <clears throat> these opportunities. I, I know that they are rich with the presence of the Lord for not only him to give to me, but to use this vessel of clay that he might be glorified, to speak through, to touch others. And I am eternally grateful that He he's called me, that he chooses to use me, <clears throat> because I know that I am, like all of us, far from perfect and worthy to be used by him. So I, I don't want to belabor it, but I, I quickly want to pray and then just get into what I believe the Lord has for us tonight. <clears throat> Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for how good you are to us. You're forever good. You're always beautiful and perfect. And we ask you tonight to reveal <clears throat> yourself to us. Peel back the veil that separates the third heaven from us and allow us to see over into your place, to see over into the throne room tonight, to behold your glory, to behold your beauty, to behold your splendor, and the wonders that surround you. We ask that you would speak to us of your secret treasures, your deep riches. Speak to us and show forth your might and your power inside of our lives. We come humbly, dear, dear Jesus, to sit at your feet. Like Mary sat at your feet, she chose the needful part. Tonight, we choose the needful part to sit at your feet. And we ask that you would speak to us because we know one word from you changes everything. And we honor you. We bless you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I am briefly tonight going to amen. just talk about Joshua and the children of Israel out of Deuteronomy chapter 7. And, and I have numerous scriptures to look at, but that will be the, the main point for us. It's Deuteronomy 7, and I will also touch 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> as foundational scriptures. Deuteronomy 7 is after the children of Israel have been wandering 
They've had battles. They've fought Amalek and the Amalekites. And here in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord through Moses is preparing the children of Israel for their entrance into the promised land. I believe that this passage, as with all scripture, if we read it properly, it correlates to the places we are right now. It correlates to things that we face, and it brings freedom to us. I, I titled this message, People of His Holiness, <clears throat> because there are weapons that have been afforded to us inside the kingdom that for many of us we have not used and are not using. Humility is one of those. Humility is a weapon, and it's a shield of protection. Inside of our society here in the States, we are pushed into a posture of being arrogant. We belong to this club. We belong to this faction. Inside the church, I attend such and such a church. We're different from you, and it, it breeds this pride and this arrogancy. We, we are pushed into this place to, to, to show forth our gifts and what the Lord has given to us as if we did it ourselves. And it pushes us away from humility. Just recently, the Lord said to me, this past Sunday, as a matter of fact, he highlighted three H's that if we are to step into this season of awakening, if we are to step into what we long for, we must grab hold of one with heart, meaning his heart. We must have his heart in everything that we do. In everything we go about doing, we must know the heart of the Lord and why he wants it done. The second was humility, as I've just been briefly mentioning. Having humility as the mantle of my life. And then the third one is holiness. <clears throat> For the past two or three decades, we have stopped talking about holiness. Part of it is because when we did talk about it, much of it was religious in nature. We put a bunch of rules and regulations upon people. Do not do this. Do do this. Much of it was late, was, you know, pointed toward women. And doing so, we both hurt men and women. We made women wear their hair a certain way, not wear makeup, only wear certain styles of clothing. That was the only way you could be deemed holy. And it was labeled upon women by men who were in charge, who had issues with lust in their life. And because we labeled all of these do's and don'ts, we never got to the heart of the issue and dealt with the heart place of man. We never dealt with holiness from where it really originated, and that's inside the heart of man. It is love language. It is how we love the Lord our, our God. I, I know my, my bride spoke about intimacy. The one to whom you're truly intimate, you will live holy toward. You will live completely laid down for that one. There is no other lover in my natural life between 
outside of my wife because I am intimate with her. My love is directed toward her and her alone. To be holy means that he has all of my heart. He has every ounce of me that he desires, that he can now come to me and flow through me. It is disability. We understand it naturally. If I choose and take another lover other than my wife, I have now set up a divide between her and I. And we cannot walk together properly as we once did because covenant is broken. It's the same way with me and the Lord. He wants me wholly his completely because he is pure and he is holy and he requires of me to walk holy so that there is no break in our relationship. Holiness is not just the major sins that we talk about. But holiness and purity is not having anything as an idol in my heart above him and him only. And for many of us, there will be things that someone else can do and it's fine. And the Lord will speak to me and say, you cannot do that. And if I continue to do it, I am not living in holiness or purity before him. Because I am saying I am reserving my heart or an area of my heart for this thing when you've asked me to let it go for you. An example, and I'll just use myself. I have been a sports fan all of my life. When I lived in the Chicago, in Chicago and in the suburbs of Chicago, I was a Bears fan. I'm still a Bears fan and a Bulls fan and et cetera. And just recently, <clears throat> in the middle of the NBA playoffs, the Lord asked me to lay it down for him, all of it. He asked me, I said to him, Lord, what must I do to have more of your glory here for my life, my family, for our ministry? And instantly the Spirit of God said, I want you to lay sports down completely, all of it, for me. And I said, Lord, are you serious? And he said, yes. If I had not done it, I would not be living in purity. I would not be walking towards purity and towards holiness. First Peter, and <clears throat> I'm going to get back to Deuteronomy. But we know, I'll read Hebrew, Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 14, he tells us to pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. These are giants we must face. I'm going to give you three quick points about holiness. Holiness is the magnifying glass by which I am able to see him. He says, without holiness, without the pursuit of it, you can't see me. It's the magnifying glass by which we're able to see the Lord. Two, it is the distinguishing mark about us as believers that is clearly seen by all. My life and how I live ought to resonate with those around me. And three, we're going to see this in one second. It is the weapon by which we wage war upon the kingdom of darkness. My heart breaks <clears throat> because 
we no longer teach on holiness much from the pulpits. And yet all over Scripture, it is vital for our walk with the Lord. In our day and in our hour today, we have many enemies. Prayer, in just prayer, right prior to this, we were addressing them. Fear. They tell you that there's a Delta variant. That simply means that there's a new variation of fear being released. We, we, we have enemies, enemies of our soul all around us, warring against the movement of the kingdom, against the kingdom of God being fully planted and established in our day. And if we're not careful, we can get caught in the darkness, become so discouraged that we refuse to move forward. And yet, in Scripture, it tells us that out of the darkness comes the glorious light. Out of the darkness is where the light shineth the brightest, but our eyes, our walk, our gaze must be solely placed upon him. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, and we know this. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, <clears throat> we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, Paul writes, are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In our day and in our hour, we have so much war and so much raging against his knowledge here in the earth. And one of the ways we wage war is by our holy living. The Bible tells us, we just read it in Hebrews, that we can't even see him without purity, without holiness. He will not approach us without purity, without holiness. We cannot walk with him without purity and holiness inside of our lives. And if we are to wage war for the kingdom and establish his kingdom here in the midst of a world clamoring for darkness, we must wage war by and through our holiness. Ephesians 6.12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then a final scripture before we jump over to Deuteronomy. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Peter writes this, but as he who called you is holy, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I want you to notice there. That he says, as he has called you, oh, we are focused today on the call of God upon our lives. Well, we should be. We are called to be intercessors, called to be apostles, called to be prophets and pastors, called to this region, called to this city, called to this people group. But Peter says, 
I want you to remember another calling that is upon your life. It may be greater than all the other ones because some people may not ever be in fivefold ministry, but they are working in the marketplace. They may be stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads. They may be grandparents. They may be all of these other things. And he says there is something greater than these fivefold or these different ministry gifts that I want you to recognize that you've been called to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. You've been called to walk in this aspect of purity. To allow him to cut off areas of your life that have been given over to the enemy's worship and, and the destruction in society. To let the Lord carve it out of your life every step and every day of your life. Why? Because there is a battle around us. And one of your weapons, the major weapons you and I possess, is our holy lifestyle. It is us being able to walk purely when darkness is clamoring for our attention. To say, as Jesus said to the devil in the, in the wilderness, when he says all of these kingdoms, and he showed him in the moment of time, in his mind's eye, he says all of these kingdoms have been turned over to me. And if you will bow down to me, I will give you what you came for. Like that. He said to Jesus, if you give me what I want, I will give you what you want. And in the midst of this, Jesus said, it is written that you, sh that you shall worship no other God but the Lord thy God and serve him only. In the midst of temptation all around him, he says, I will worship him and him alone. He was giving you and I an example and saying to us that it can be lived. It can be done. And then in the, uh, 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 it, right before his crucifixion at the Last Supper, he tells you how the process of it being done is done. And he says, he takes off of his, his master's robe. He puts on the servant's apron. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus looks at Peter and says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Wow. In other words, Jesus was saying to Peter, if you don't allow me into the dirtiest places of your life to bring cleansing and freedom, you will never have union with me. Jeez. For many of us as believers, we yeah. have lived attempting to hide, hide what Jesus already knows about us. We are tempting to deny that we're still dealing with this issue and that issue and this thing over here. When he says, please, just let me in that I might wash you. We attempt to do it on our own. And he said, you cannot without me. You must allow me to wash you. Why? There is a war 
around us. Yes, in this last year and a half, we've seen more of it than probably any one of us on this call who may listen to this later have ever experienced in their lifetime. Maybe our parents, our grandparents have seen more <clears throat> with the wars, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and those things. But we are in a spiritual battle. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want to read this. And he says this. <clears throat> the Lord says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. <clears throat> and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, listen what he says, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy them, nor you shall you make marriages with them, you shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other mm -hmm. gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly, but thus you shall deal with them, you shall destroy their altars. You shall break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you, listen to what he says, you are a holy people to the Lord. You shall do all of this because you are holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, verse 9, <clears throat> know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Sounds similar to what he says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, this is interesting because the Lord tells the children of Israel, but he's speaking to us as well. Thank you, Jesus. He tells them that you are to go into the land. And he says, I will cast out many nations before you. But he says, you're going to have to put up a fight. You're going to have to stand 
and I will fight with you. And he says to them that when you go to do this, don't play around with them. Don't come into covenant. Don't dabble in their things. But he says, utterly destroy what they do. Seven nations, greater than you, I will conquer. Holiness is our weapon of warfare. These nations, these giants, these er our areas are to be conquered and utterly destroyed. We are not to make covenant with or show mercy to these nations, these giants, these areas of our lives. If we, do, if we do, our lineage will be turned away from following the Lord. Every one of these giants, every one of these nations represents a spirit, a demonic spirit that we face in our land and in our day and in our time. And I believe that for too long the church has been tolerant of the demonic, tolerant of the demonic devices and allowing demons into our homes, into our lives, into our churches, into our prayer ministries, into our worship time. We've allowed them and we've come into league and covenant with them. He said that there were seven, but there were actually ten, three more that did not he did not mention. These other three, the Kenites, Kenites, Kenjanites, and Kadmonites, these nations represent areas in believers that they must overcome, but you can do those on your own, those three. But these other seven, it is written here that they are mightier than you. You cannot do this without me. But you must trust me and walk with me. And he says, and I will deliver you. The first one I want to mention is the Hittites, Hittites. The spirit that they represent, or what it means, I should say, it means fear or terror. It represents the spirit of the fear of, fear of failure. It causes spiritual paralysis where we don't do anything because we don't think we're spiritual enough to accomplish it. We think someone else, God has called someone else to do this. Have you ever heard or have you ever said somebody needs to do something? <laughs> and if I'm thinking it, if I'm saying it, maybe the someone is me. Amen. But this spirit, this spirit here, it represents a fear of failure. I don't step out to do that thing because what if I fail? Ooh, There's a song in my heart that the mm -hmm. Lord wants me to write, but I won't write the song. I don't want to sing it. I don't want to play it because what if I fail? There's a book that he is asking me to write. It's on my heart, but I don't want to get started because what if I fail? I know that the Lord wants me to begin to preach and to stand up and do. But what if I fail? Hell, if he was going to church back. But the Lord said, 
Could you please he mute? Said, I will. I will be with you. He said, I will go before you to dispossess these people. But this spirit causes paralysis where we don't do anything. For some of us, it could be something as simple as moving out of the region and the area we were called to. For me and my family, I remember over seven and a half years ago, my wife and I, we grew up in the Chicago. I grew up in the city of Chicago. She grew up in Mokina. We lived in the Chicago land area all of our lives. We had a church that was in the process of growing. Minister Brown can tell you all about it. And then the Lord said, would you walk with me in North Texas, a place we had never been to, the north suburbs of Dallas, knew nothing about, had no friends, had no family here. And he said, would you go and walk with me? We could have given in to the fear because there were many people who posed questions, family members, people who said, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? You know, it's hard to go and start a church when plant a church when you don't know anybody and you're not taking a team with you. We could have succumbed to the spirit of fear of failure and remained right where we were. But we chose not to. We chose to trust him. In the same way that he said to Abram, get thee out of your father's house into a land that I will show you. He didn't tell him where he was going. He says, I will show you when you get there. We didn't know what it was like here, but we went. I say that because for every one of us, there are things inside of our life that maybe for years we have been sitting upon. We have felt the tug of the Lord in an area. Maybe it was simply to share the gospel with a family member who I know is not serving him. But every time I get around them, I say, you know, I don't know what to say. What if I stumble over my words? What if I don't say the right thing? What if they deny hearing me or reject me? Oh, we forget the scripture where Jesus said, they're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting me and the one who sent me. The spirit, this spirit that wants to freeze us. Oh, we see it today where, the, where fear is running rampant. And we want to say something about what is going on, but we're fear will, we're, we are filled with paralysis because we might be kicked off of Facebook or locked out. And we might be criticized on our job if we say the wrong thing. Cancel culture is raging today because the church started cancel culture years ago. We were tolerant with demons when we put people out who may have been divorced, when we refused to deal with people who may have fallen in the sin, but they wanted to repent and they wanted to be restored, but we said, you're not worthy of that. We got into league with it, and we must stop it today because it is rampant all around us, where you and I were paralyzed with fear. And yet the Lord is saying, 
We are his holy people. And he wants us to conquer and utterly destroy the spirit of fear out of our lives, our family's lives, our friends, the churches that we attend, where we will stand up for his truth no matter what it costs us. That we will speak, that we will write, that we will sing, that we will do the thing that he has called us to in the face of fear. And age does not matter. We're teaching our youngest children that even now you do what's in the heart, in your heart from the Lord. To the oldest of us, it does not matter if you're still breathing that there is purpose for my life. And I must utterly destroy this spirit from around me by and through the help of the Holy Spirit that there is no more paralysis in my life of fear. You know, and we know the scripture in 1 John where he says perfect love. That word perfect is a word for complete, mature love, cast out fear. It is the mature, complete love of the believer that fear is cast out. He says, because fear has torment. The high tides represents this spirit that creates fear to the point that we're paralyzed. And we don't do the thing that the Lord is calling us to do. And yet he says, conquer it and utterly destroy it. The second nation, the Gergesites. It means a stranger. And it causes you to feel out of place everywhere you go, as though something were wrong with you. You just don't belong. You don't belong anywhere. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Every one of us has a family on this earth, a place of our own people a people who we belong to, a people that we are called to run with, a people that we're called to do battle with and walk into the kingdom with. Every one of us has that. And yet the enemy would love nothing more than to keep taking us on the journey to where we enter into these places where they don't want us, we don't fit in, and we're told that we don't belong. No, maybe it's not that I just don't belong, but maybe they don't want the truth there. Maybe they just want their club. Maybe they're out of the place and the will of the Lord. Maybe, or maybe I just haven't found my people. And I have to pause and say, Lord, you have a people for me. You have a place for me. And I want to be there. Gergeshite, meaning stranger. He wants you to wander your entire life, never walking into this place of true intimate love, true love with people where I can live who I am. Because when we feel like strangers, we never feel like we can truly be ourselves around people. And if we never feel like we can be ourselves, we're playing games always because we want to make sure that this person likes me and this person likes me and I never get to the depth of the love that I need to be free because I never find out who's really for me and who's not. You and I must find our people. There is a people for you. There is a group 
that I run with, that the gifts in me will flourish. The gifts in me will come out, and I will stand in the places that I've always longed to be in and that the Lord has always had for me. It's the places where I grow. If I feel like I never belong, I will not grow. I cannot grow because I can never see my places of deficiency and then have love to surround them, that they're covered. Love covers a multitude of sins. And if I never belong, I never get to have my sins, my deficiencies, my weakness covered by the love and the strength of the Father that I can grow out of them and into the thing that he always has for me. The third one, the Amorites. It means sayer. And it speaks to this spirit that wants to create an inferiority and a self-doubt in my mind. It causes you to think that everyone is talking about you. Therefore, you become withdrawn and care more about what others say about you than what God has called you to. If you're going to live for the Lord, if you and I are going to live for the Lord, we're going to have people not like us. We're going to have to come against and go against what someone says whom we honor, whom we love, who has been spoken truth in our lives, we're going to have to do it in a way of love. You're going to have to go against the tide of friends and family members in order to do what the Lord is saying, even if it's just walking in purity and holiness. Others around you will say, well, we used to always do this. Yeah, but I can't do that anymore because... This is what the Lord is asking of me. You know, there was a time in my life before I was in fivefold ministry, before I was ordained. And, and, and I would, uh, you, you know, you have Christian friends and you go out together. You go to places to eat and you have, people have birthday parties. And I was single, but I would always leave at 10 p.m. And my friends would say to me, why, are you, why do you always leave so early? And I said to them, because I have an appointment at 5, between 5 and 5.30 in the morning that I cannot miss. I have a date set to meet with Jesus every morning at this time, somewhere but starting somewhere between 5 a.m. and 5.30, and I cannot miss it. So I have to disappoint you. And I have to risk you being upset with me. Why? Because I love him that much. This spirit wants you to have such inferiority complex and self-doubt that you're more concerned about what others think of you than you are what the Father has called you to. And when we feel that way, we will never accomplish what he has. Never. Jesus said this. He said, beware when all manner of men speak well of you. Your life in me will and should be offending someone. It should be. Why? Because I am the rock of offense. My life is so pure and there, there are those who don't want to live that way that you will simply be an offense to just because. We teach our youngest children and have for years. They're 11, 
nine, seven, and three. We taught them and we continue to teach them that they will run across people who don't like them just because of the way that they look. And they have to be okay with that and still walk in love with the, that individual. We said to them that there will pe be people whom the enemy is influencing who will not like you because you bear the image and the mark of Christ on your life. And you have to be okay with it and still walk in love. And you have to do what he has called you to. There will be people who don't like the way that I preach. There will be people who feel as though I am not their cup of tea. And I must be okay with that. I'm not called to everyone, but there are those who are called to be with me. And I must be okay with it. And I cannot allow their disdain for me to change what God has called me to. What he is requiring of my life. My laid down life for him. This spirit of the Amorites, the sayer, the speaker. Today, people will say, they will criticize you. You're not wearing a mask. You're wearing a mask. We're critical. Did you get the vaccine? You didn't get the vaccine. And we're critical. I don't like what you're saying about this and about that. Critical to silence you, to make you so self-conscious that you no longer stand for the truth because you will no longer know what the truth is. Because you backed up from it. And the Lord says, I want you to utterly conquer and destroy inferiority complex and self-doubt. Destroy it. Do not come into covenant with it. We must go before the Lord. Who am I? Who do you say that I am? Who have you called me to be? What are you saying about my life? How do you see me? What is your heart for me and towards me? And I will live from that reality no matter what anyone says about me. No matter what they think about me. We, and this is the last point I'll make about this so that we can keep moving. We, too often, we put the Lord's feelings off to the side so that we can embrace those around us who never really fully love us for who we are. We want to feel as though they're okay with us, but yet we cannot be ourselves with them. I tell you again, there is a people whom God has for you that you can be yourself, who you really are in their presence. And the areas that are deficient, they will cover you in their love. And they will help you grow. And you will be able to do the same with them. He says of the Gergesites, the stranger. He says of the Amorites, the sayer. He says, by his power, you are my holy people. You don't have to live like they say it. He says, utterly conquer and destroy this spirit in this day and in this hour. Silence it in your life and come out of covenant. Listen, number four, the Canaanites. It means zealous <laughs> or premature opportunity. It causes us to want something before or ahead of God's timing. Ah, oh, there's a beauty 
in the Lord. We, we live in a society that we want everything quick, fast, and in a hurry. We live in this microwavable generation. Right now, give it to me now. Lay hands on me so I can get what you got and I can start it now. We want it now. I, I, I can still remember, uh, and I know everyone on the phone can as well, when it was like we had no microwaves and we had to wait for the meal to be cooked. And it took a while, but it was the best. I remember my grandmother taking me to, to the farm to pick peas and then making me shell those peas when we got home. I can remember those things and how long it took, but it was the best meal, most nutritious meal ever. Today it is not so. We want everything instant. We want fame, and that fame has crept into the church where we want fame when the only one who is to be made famous is Christ our King. Jesus and his name is to be exalted. Canaanites, it means zealous or premature opportunities. There is a beauty in being hidden. There's a beauty and a blessing in obscurity. The baby in the womb and all of the women on the line understand this who, who, who had babies and carried. This baby develops in your womb without the pressures and the Negatives of the outside world in a perfect environment, in obscurity, hidden from all the world. Even physically from the mother. She can feel it, but it's hidden from sight. It develops. It grows strong. It has all of its function and senses put together in this place of obscurity where it is hidden and no one can see it until the moment when it is ready and able to withstand all of the effects of the environment around it. Premature opportunity. When a baby is born before its time, we call it premature. It is not ready to handle what is in front of it. When we want something that we character-wise, purity-wise want something before we are able, it is a premature opportunity. Jesus told the disciples to pray about it. We, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But in my mind, it's more the disciples' prayer because they asked them to teach us to pray. And the Lord said, pray like this, in this manner. He didn't say, say these exact words. He says, in this manner, pray. And down in verse 13 of Matthew Oh, I believe it's Matthew 5. He says, he says this, and I'm grabbing my Bible. Excuse me, I want to give it to you correctly. Exact verse. In Matthew, here, he, he says this, in Matthew 6, verse 13. We know it. He starts before that in, in verse 9, our Father who art in heaven. And he goes, we, we know it. Down in verse 10, he says this. And do not lead us into temptation, speaking of premature opportunity. Why would the Lord say we need to pray to our Father, don't lead us into temptation? The Bible says that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt. He was not tempting Jesus in the wilderness. The Lord was testing Jesus. The enemy was tempting him. Test 
lead to promotion because they prove what is already in you and what you know. We understand that from school. We give tests to prove what you've learned. Not to fail you, but to prove what you know. Temptation is given by the enemy to pull the promises away from you, for you to forfeit the promises of the Lord. Here is the thought. Why would he say, lead us not into temptation? Why, why would he say this thing if he doesn't tempt? He is saying, pray, Father, don't bring me somewhere I am not ready for. Because if you bring me to a place, give me something I am not ready to handle, it will become a temptation for me to walk away from you. Because the very next verse, and deliver me from the evil one. Premature opportunity. The Canaanites, I want you to do something for me before I am ready. The story of the prodigal son, give me my inheritance before I'm ready. And I won't go into it because time is short. Premature opportunity, wanting something before you're mature enough to handle it because you have a gift. The gifts of God are free. He gives them. The gifts and callings of God, the Bible tell us, tells us, are without repentance. He gives them to us. They're free. But maturity the ability to walk in them, the function in them properly, is very expensive. It will cost you everything. Never want anything prematurely. Separate from this spirit. Cut it off. He tells you to conquer it and to utterly destroy it. Conquer and utterly destroy the need to be something and someone before you are ready to be there. Let the journey mold you. Let history with the Lord grow and mature you and deepen in you. That when you are placed on a stage, placed on a place where others may see you and know you, you're well able to handle the heights. Because there's a lack of altitude at the top of the mountain. And many before us have ascended the mountain before they became acclimated to the lack of oxygen. And they fell, and they lost all that they went because prematurely they sought something they were not mature enough to handle. He says, conquer and utterly destroy because you are people who are holy unto me. Number five, the parasites. It means squatter or apathy. This spirit causes you to feel indifferent to the things concerning God's kingdom. You can take them or leave them. You feel no push. You feel no drive. You haven't discovered the reason for which you were alive, and it wakes you up every day as if you have something to offer. It is it's just what it is. I'm just waiting for the Lord to come and take us out of here. No. We are building and establishing his kingdom, and you have a part to play. You have a role to play. He says destroy, conquer. Utterly destroy this spirit that will make you become apathetic to the things of God. In my house, we can leave or do without them. No, 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 no. Never. We push into the kingdom of God. We push 
into the things of his spirit. And we bring everyone who is a part of our house along with it. This is what we do here. Joshua cried. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No apathy here. No sarah sarah here. No, not here. Not on my watch. Not around my life. It will be fire and only fire that proceeds forth from me, that goes with me. No apathy. Number six, the high vice. It means the giant. This spirit causes you to flee or run away from something you were doing. It's too big for you. You feel. I can't do it. I, I was here, but he's too strong. He's too big for me. Too much. I don't know if I can handle it. And yet, Third John says, greater is he <laughs> that is in me than he who is in the world. The Lord told them, go in. As he's telling us, go in. He says, go in. And I will displace this people before you. But you will have to stand by faith. In the same way, Moses raised his arms. And his arms got heavy. And they held him up. And they put stones over him. Because as long as his hands were raised, they would win. And when they dropped, they didn't. There would be something required of me to do. I will have to face the giants in my home. The giants of my generation. There are things in our generation, in our lineage, that have been flowing from the enemy, from one mother to the next, and one father down the line, and we refuse to face it. We try to not acknowledge that it exists. And he says, you got to face it. And when you do, I will be there with you for you to utterly destroy it in your family line. Oh, my, my family and I, my wife and I have taken aim at the things that the enemy has been prevalent on both sides of our family for generations. And we say it stops with us. It will not flow into our children, no matter what that costs us, no matter what we have to do, no matter how we may have to pull away, to walk away from family members, to do this, to do that. It ends with us that there may be a free flow, unhindered flow of the Spirit of God in and through our children's lives for a generation that needs it. Let me tell you, why must we deal with these issues? There is a generation that is birthed now, that is growing in the earth. It may be some of your children, your grandchildren. It could be great-grandchildren that they will stand in this earth and they will face what no other generation on the face of the earth has ever faced. They will have to face or stand in the glory of God like we have never stood in the glory of God and yet stand in extreme darkness like we have never seen. Why? Because we have been tolerant and we've allowed the enemy to grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Why? Because we refuse to face him. We refuse to conquer and utterly destroy what he's done in our family and say, no more, it ends with me. And I encourage you tonight to stand up and say no more. No more to the high types, the giants that come on in my family, that have been in my family for generations and has grown stronger and I know it is face, uh, affecting me. No more. Because he's with me. Because there are people in my lineage 
who will have to stand and they will look back at me and say, why didn't you teach me? Why didn't you stand? Why didn't you take a stand and stop this? Because I don't know how to balance out standing in such extreme glory and such deep darkness at the same time. Isaiah 60, deep darkness covers the land. And he says, you are his holy people. Conquer and utterly destroy low self-regard. Conquer and utterly destroy the fear that makes you think you don't measure up and that the one who is in you is not greater than the one who opposes you. And finally, number seven, the Jebusites. It means downtrodden or depression. Causes you, this spirit causes you anxiety. Causes you to live and be in depression over many issues. This spirit causes you to carry a victim's mentality. We blame others for our lack of success. Victim mentality. They're always out to get me. It is always someone, someone else. The victim mentality. It is this group of people. It is this family member. It is this person. It is this coworker. It is this over here. This spirit causes me to live in the victim mentality when I've been called to live from the victor's chair. Christ is seated on the throne, having conquered death, having conquered all, and we are to live from this place, the place of victory. I, I, I can remember the day where I believe I began to overcome this spirit. It was, it was years ago. I wasn't in full-time ministry. I wasn't married. I was attending the church, and I was a life servant in our cell group, and I was riding the pace bus down Halsted, headed into going home back to Chicago Heights at the time. And I had my Bible out, and I was reading. And a man next to me asked me, what, what are you reading? And I told him the passage of Scripture I was reading. And he, he, he said to me, do you know, he said, I'm an associate pastor at his church, whatever, I don't remember, it was so long ago what church it was. And he said, I, I was, this was like 2000, 2001, so 20 years ago. He said, you know, I just preached that at church this Sunday. I said, oh, really? Oh, great. And we talked briefly. And then he, he said to me, where, where, where do you work at? And I told him it. At the time, I was working at Apple, Applebee's, and he says, are you a server there? I said, well, I said, yeah, that's how it started, but I'm a corporate server now, uh, and I'm uh, training for management right this second. I'm uh, just to, stepped into the management program. And when I said that I was a corporate trainer where they send you all around when they open new stores and you train, and that now I was stepping into management, he looked at me, and he said, your, your boss must be black, the victim mentality, that the only way that I can succeed is, is if someone who looks just like me opens the door for me. Man, no, no problem with anyone opening doors for you. But I said to him, no, my, my immediate boss, he's, he's not, he's, he's Caucasian. 
And, and, and then he said to me, well, his boss must be black. And I, I looked at him again, and I said, no. I said, his immediate boss is Caucasian as well, and he's the one who set me up for the interview for management because I didn't ask for it. I didn't apply for the position. He just came into the store and said, we need people like you. I've set up an interview for management, and I told him that I didn't want it. And he says, I've already scheduled the interview. You have it next week. And when he said that, I looked at him and I said, have you never read in the book of Revelation where it says that Jesus opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open? And, and I said, he didn't say, except that be a white man or an Asian man or, you know, there was no exceptions to what Jesus said. So I said to him, there is no victim mentality that my life is at the hands of any race of man or lack thereof, color of man. My life is in his hands. It, it, that was the day 20 years ago that the victim mentality, this, this anxiety and depression because I'm not where I want to be and I begin to blame others for it, begin to be eradicated from my life. When I said to him, Jesus is my door opener, and he's the one who closes the door. So if a door is closed, I'm not blaming someone. I'm believing that the Lord doesn't want me there because he'll open the doors for me where he wants me to be. He has the power in his hand to do it. And this Jebusite, it's downtrodden and depression. It is this spirit that wants you to look at your life and say, I can never amount to anything because of this person and this group and this. And you leave out the fact that Jesus is the lover of my soul. Leave out the fact that I have given my life over to him completely and fully. And tonight, for those of us, I want to say that in Jesus' name, that you are to utterly, we are to utterly conquer and destroy this spirit of victimhood and victim mentality because we are not victims any longer. In Christ, we are the victors. And so in Jesus' name, I declare this spirit canceled and destroyed now over your life over your family's life, over your lineage, over your generations in Jesus' name. No more victim mentality, but living from the victor's chair. Living from the victor's chair. We, as children of the king, we must wage war in the spirit to overcome the assault of the enemy on our families. On our, over our children, our spouses, over our ministries, over the churches that we attend for one reason. Numbers 14, 21. The Lord says, my glory shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It is his desire that his manifest tangible presence be all over the earth. And you and I 
are the ones charged with seeing this come to pass. And so right where you are, you have been charged in your area, in your place, to say your kingdom come and to fight the giants, the spirits, in the heavenlies that war against your neighborhood, that war against your household, that war against your region, your city, your region, that the glory of the king will come in. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we just thank you tonight that you, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now into our homes, right where we are. We ask you to show, to quicken us and allow us to see the spirits that we have given ground to in our personal lives, in our families' lives, in the ministry around us, in our workplace. We ask that you show us and then you embolden us by your love, by your power to stand our ground. Teach us to face off and to resist what the enemy would want to do. We cancel his assignment. We call it null and void now in Jesus' name. And we embrace your covenant with us. We embrace your love for us. We embrace your life for us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to breathe afresh on us tonight. Breathe afresh on us that we might stand up with clean hands and a pure heart before you. As your people called to a place of holiness, to live in this earth contrary to the ways of the world, contrary to the ways that the enemy has, that your glory and your kingdom would be established right where we are. We thank you for this tonight. We honor you, Holy Spirit, as we thank you for pouring a fresh wave of your love upon us now. Restore us to your heart. Reveal to us what you think of us, who we are, what you feel about us and for us. We thank you for that wave now. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.